Welcome to the podcast of Amago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, Amago Day. Happy Father's Day. We, really? Wow. It's, not, it's just not just an outpouring of love that we all felt, didn't we, men? <laughs> um, well, if you're lucky, not only would you get that warm greeting, but a tool like a wrench or something uh, when you get home. So that's great, too. <clears throat> We're glad that you're with us today. Today we are wrapping up the book of Romans, um, which we've been teaching on since the end of Easter. And so if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Romans in just a minute. But as we think about all that Paul has written here, many have said that the book of Romans is the high point of Paul's theology. It's the cathedral of all that Paul had written. And it's within this book of Romans that we come to the understanding that, that, that all people are under the power of sin and death. There is nothing that any of us can do to escape those two realities. And yet, all by faith in Christ are made right by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, by the shedding of his blood and by his resurrection. And by faith, God has undone Adam's sin. By faith, And through Jesus, he's fulfilled all of his promises all the way back to Abraham, that there would be a new people, a people of God, that are the new humanity in Christ. And because of what Christ has done, he made one new family of faith by his spirit. And so if you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, the depths of what Paul has written is hopefully growing and becoming new in in you. And what he says here as he gets past Romans 1 through 11 is he gets into very specific realities. For Paul, this great theology was supposed to meet the pavement of our lives, to be enfleshed in our day-to-day living with one another, as we accept each other as Christ accepted us. And so he gives us through uh, Romans 12 through 16 some very practical ways in which we're to do life together, but also how we're to be the people of God in the place that God has, has put us. Now, it's interesting to remember that the book of Romans is actually a letter, and it's a letter that Paul wrote to this group of people living in Rome. They were followers of Jesus. Some of them were Jewish, and so they saw Jesus as their Messiah, but some of them were non-Jewish. The word for that is Gentile, which means we just sort of, all of us who are non-Jewish that don't have ancestry that leads back to Abraham, um, that, that we all are being brought into this, to be this family of faith. And as he gets into the specifics of Romans 12 through 16, he wants 
us to see what it means to be life together. And he writes this letter, probably about 50 people in the Church of Rome at this time. They're meeting in houses. Those 50 people might not even know each other. Uh, We suspect that they were suspicious of each other because some were primarily Jewish and others were Gentile. And as he writes, it's also under the Emperor Nero that Paul writes this letter. And so it's a government that isn't known for being very hospitable. It's a government that's uh, in its core godless. And so I want you to turn to Romans 13, and I want us to look at a passage that has been quoted in the press this week. Um, that, and I want us to take a look at it because I think it's important that we understand what Paul is doing here and what it means for us today. And so in Romans 13, he's speaking about what it means to live within the context of whatever culture that we're in. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. Now this would have been very subversive in Rome because they believed that the emperor was actually the son of God. They used that language. They also used the language of savior. And so Nero was son of God and savior. There was great sort of divine authority that got attached to his rule. And when Paul says, look, actually Nero is ruling under God, that is a very subversive thing to say. Consequently, verse 2, whoever rebels against authorities, rebelling what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong, Do you want to be free from fear from the one in authority? Then do what's right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servants for good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath in punishment on the wrongdoers. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone that you owe. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. <clears throat> and, and people have wrestled with this passage because in its basic reading, removed from context, it seems to be a blanket statement that all governments eat anywhere even evil governments can just sort of say whatever they want and we're supposed to obey them. Now, when you get to the book of Acts, we see several different times where Paul or Peter, the apostles, are standing before uh, rulers of power and they are disobeying them. They're saying, don't go out. We don't want you to preach anymore. We don't want you to spread the news that Jesus is king of the world. And they say to their face, you decide whether it is better for us to, to obey man or God, but we will obey God. And so there's, they resist government at that place. Now some theologians believe that Paul, in the context of this book, because again he's writing to Jew and Gentile, is that he's speaking here of the synagogue. The synagogue had its own authority, 
Uh, they believe that at this point, uh, this time of the writing, the Christians still were gathering in the synagogue. And the synagogue was a place where there was authority and ruling over the Jewish people and the Gentile converts. You had to pay taxes to the synagogue, to drachma. And so it's possible that he's not speaking about Nero here and he's speaking about the temple. But, it, but even if we take it out of that context, in which case we would say he's not endorsing, uh, supporting evil and unbiblical governments, even if we take it out of that, we know that, emperor was, that Nero was the emperor. We know that he kills Paul 10 years after this writing because Paul continued to preach that Jesus was Lord, not Caesar. And we also know that the, possible, the apostles did disobey this governing authority. They did it peacefully, but over and over again, we see them repeating that we will obey God, not man. And there's also verse seven, which is a verse of discernment where he says, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Which also assumes that there are places where they are disrespecting God's authority and dishonoring God's authority in those places where you wouldn't give that. Now, I think it's important for us to understand that it is true that all governing authorities in the world are under, in some sense, God's sovereign rule. And yet we also understand that this world currently is not submitting to God. In fact, the church is the only place on earth that truly submits itself to the authority of God, and we don't do that very well. And, and so when... We hear in the press, you know, Jeff Sessions uses Romans 13 to endorse this zero-tolerance immigration law to essentially separate almost 2,000 children from their parents over the last six weeks and to just simply say the Bible says this and therefore everybody has to submit to it. That's scary to me. And let me tell you why it's scary to me. Because while government is put in place to prevent anarchy, right? And Paul is definitely saying, we are preaching that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. That could create within the church a sense that I'm not paying taxes. I'm not submitting to laws. I'm under Jesus, right? And we become this rebellious sort of anti-authority group of people. I think Paul wants to diminish that. But what happened is that when we begin to dehumanize other people as the other and paint with one broad stroke criminal across everyone, and then we deify, kind of raise up whatever policy we want and to say this is God's authority, that has led throughout history to great human atrocities. And so when we hear that, I think it's right for us to, 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 to question, to say, 
I don't think this is a place that we're supposed to give respect and honor. Thankfully, we live in a country that allows us to speak and to nonviolently protest. There are many countries around the world that if you spoke out against anything, that would be the end of you. But what I am saying is that we need to understand our history and where this kind of thinking could lead. And that we should tremble knowing what history teaches us about the human heart. We understand that the Bible teaches us very specifically to remember that we once were the alien and the stranger. That we were the one that God called and welcomed. That God received. The one who didn't belong but God made a home for. And Israel throughout its history was to have that lens towards the alien and the stranger among us. The immigrant and the stranger. And so what I'm not saying is that we shouldn't have immigration laws, but we should have just ones. And we must speak and we must act on behalf of those who can't. These families that have been separated from their children. Here we are on Father's Day, and can you imagine if you were um, trying to, to escape persecution like the 123 men that are in Sheridan right now in a federal prison, 50% of those are, are coming from India. They're Christians and Sikhs who are escaping persecution. And they have been separated from their wives and children. They have no idea where they are. They're, they're, they're in two to three to a cell for 22 to 23 hours a day without access to clergy or lawyers. There are some lawyers who have made it in and met with about 50%. And you think about what it would be like for us to be separated from our children, from our families, and to not have any idea where they are. And so it's important for us to use our, our freedom as citizens to speak up and to speak out. We are fortunate to be able to live in a country where we can do that. Um, there is a vigil on Monday night in Sheridan from five to seven. There are many petitions that you can sign and use your voice. I have signed two letters to President Trump with a hundred other national leaders over the last two years that were published in the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post. Um, and recently, uh, signed a, a letter to allow clergy to visit. And so what I want you to know is I know some of you are saying, wow, isn't this a little too political? We are called as God's people to do two things, right? To be this alternative community that is one, a faithful presence for Jesus in the world. That means a faithful witness that we would bless and we strive to do that, to bless this city, to bless the world, to announce the good news that Jesus has come as our liberating king. But we are also to be a prophetic witness, which means we're to resist, we're to speak truth to power. And this happened back in the 80s um, with a pro-life movement that started off well but got violent, that disregarded at times women's needs, and it sort of just went the wrong way. 
But this is a time where we can speak up for life, speak up for humanity, speak up for men and women who bear the image of God. And so I would ask that you consider that as you wrestle with your response as a follower of Jesus and as a citizen of this country. At a very base level though, I'm gonna ask that you pray and that you pray with me this morning this prayer. And so would you pray this with me? God of compassion, hear the cries. Okay. Well, that covers it, right? <laughs> Let's try it again. Can you let us get through the whole thing? <laughs> I'm just kidding. God of compassion, hear the cries of mothers, fathers, and children separated from one another. Comfort them in their time of need. May they know they are not alone. God of justice, Grant us the courage to hear the cries of mothers, fathers, and children separated from one another. Help us to stand in solidarity, speak out, and boldly act. May we know we are not alone. Together we pray, amen, amen. And I want you to know that we are praying this prayer with about 100 other congregations in Portland today. And so it is a time for the people of God to stand together as a prophetic witness. All right, turn with me to Romans 15. As we come to the close of the book, I want us to start in verse 20. But now there, I'm sorry, verse 20, that was 23. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. And this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now, there is no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through, that you will assist me on my journey there, after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make contributions for the poor among Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessing, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. It's, it's fascinating on some level that what Paul was really doing was writing a support letter to the Church of Rome that he gave us this high theology, the beauty of all that Christ has done and accomplished, really at the end of the day to say, here's, I need you to take an offering, right? And everyone in the church goes, wah, 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 here we go. <laughs> but, but what I want us to see, and I think is really important, is that what Paul is telling these people 
is the great importance and value of preaching the gospel. For Paul, this message that we have spent the last, I don't know how many, nine weeks on, it was of such importance that he would give his life, that he would collect money, that he would risk his life, not only to take funds to church to church, but also to announce to the world that there is a new king, and his name is Christ, and he is setting people free. And he is creating one new humanity called the church where his spirit reigns. He is the beginning and the end. He is the hope of all people. And Paul took this so seriously that in his mind, it was worth everything. Now, if you think for a minute what Paul's body looked like, okay? Paul was beaten twice. He was stoned where they would throw rocks on him until he was left for dead. One time they beat him so bad and they toss him out the city and when he finally comes to, he gets back and goes in and starts preaching again. It's almost insanity. He was given 39 lashes, one short of death on two different occasions. Paul's back looked like a, a, a massive road map of scars. And yet, he continues the work. And I can only believe that it was so much of importance because of how Christ had radically changed him and given him this great charge to announce this gospel to people who have no idea who Christ or Abraham are. And so for Paul, he said, I will gladly pay that cost. The end of his life in Acts chapter 20, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know what is going to happen to me when I get there, but the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are waiting for me. Now, when the Spirit of God tells you that, I would read it as like, okay, I shouldn't go there. But not Paul because he wanted to bring this gospel to his people. And he was willing to pay the cost. For the people of Rome, where a few years from now, they will be blamed for the great fire that set Rome on fire. The Christians were always marginalized and always persecuted, but they continued to meet. They continued to preach this gospel, and they continued to sacrifice willingly for it. And this message that now comes to us 2,000 years later in Portland, Oregon in 2018 is still of utmost importance. It's important for us as a faith community to love and to bear the cost to preach this gospel to this city. I met with the mayor a few weeks ago to discuss some things that were on my heart about what it means to have a public square where we can disagree with each other civilly and respect each other and defend each other's rights to disagree and to really push him to lead the way. And one of the things that struck me is when we got there, the first thing he said was, thank you for all the work your community is doing in this city. Which is pretty wild to think this is the mayor talking, right? Right? 
It's important that we continue to love the least of these in our city and around the world, but we also announce that Christ is king of the world. And while there is so much upheaval and civil unrest in our world, we are the ones who should be bold about that announcement, should be able to speak without fear and bear witness that another kingdom is coming and breaking in, and we want you to tangibly be able to taste and see and hear and feel that kingdom with love and grace. And so when we announce that you know we're coming to the end of our year-end budget, it's not just to pay electric bills and to do church. It's because at the bottom of everything we do, we receive this offering to spread this news that Jesus is king of the world and he's reigning in Portland too. And that's good news for everybody. And so what I would ask as we have this Sunday, next Sunday, and the, the end of June is that you would really consider, I think we have about 165 to 170 left in meeting budget, but that enables us to continue to go forward. And so just as Paul is not ashamed to wrap up this beautiful theological letter with an offering letter, right? Then I don't wanna be ashamed about it either um, because I believe with all my heart that the work that we do is not only a blessing to the world, but it's caught the attention of our city, and Jesus is becoming attractive and beautiful, even for people who aren't interested in him. And so continue to give and sacrifice to make that happen. All right, Romans 16. He wraps up the letter with these personal greetings, and I won't read them all to you, but but he goes on to say, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centuria, whatever, however you want to pronounce it. You're free to do it, they say. Um, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. And then he goes on to talk about Priscilla and Aquila and all that they have done and to greet the church that meets in their house. And he goes on and on and on and he lists all these people. And one of the things that's fascinating to me is that at that time in a culture where women did not share a lot of leadership or authority, you see over and over Paul mentioning how vital the women were in that early church. And I'm grateful for Imago that has such a robust community of women who are leading the way in so many. Yes, it's Father's Day. Let's. let's <laughs> and men too. Um, and men too. He, he talks about men too. <laughs> but one of the things that that struck me, um, as many of you know, I'm, I'm heading out uh, on sabbatical uh, starting tomorrow. And um, one of the things that struck me as I was reading Romans chapter 16 is that, that Paul wasn't there, right? He had never been to this church. 
that here was their leader, here was the person who taught them their great theology that, that they looked to to help them understand the gospel, but he had never, ever even been there. And the truth is that all of these amazing people are the people who made the Church of Rome the Church of Rome. And I know um, as, as I prepare to take off for uh, three months, this is, it's weird, you know, like I'm supposed to go away by myself for three days just to detox from working, um, which sounds exactly like what detox really is. I'll be sweating and shaking and all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, just as the Church of Rome wasn't about the Apostle Paul, and I'm not equating myself with Apostle Paul, but, but Imago is not about me. It's not about the leader. It's about you. It's about literally the hundreds of you that serve, that love, that meet together, that give your life away just as this list of people that Paul quotes here at the end of Rome. That every church that meets locally everywhere in the world is not about the leadership or one person, but it is about the people who bear those gifts that God gives them and who accept one another and live this thing out as one body, as one people. And so just as in Rome, there are so many of you that serve Jesus and make Imago all that it is. You make the mayor stand up and notice, right? You make the, the news on the street, for the most part, fairly positive because of how, I say for the most part, because you know, it's, we're still Christians in Portland, but, but God has something for you over the next three months as well. We know God has something for Jeannie and I, and the, and the reality is, is that you are our community as well. And so as we'll be away from you, you'll be away from us. And we will be praying for you as I know you'll be praying for me. We do have some great speakers coming. I was with Luis Palau on Friday. Luis is 84 years old. He has uh, cancer and was told that he may only have till December to live. For 55 years, he's preached the gospel around the world. And he said, Rick, I want to come to the church and talk about heaven. And I thought, well, that's probably a pretty good subject. I'll talk about, he said, you talk about immigration, I'll talk about heaven. <laughs> uh, and we have other from our team and people coming from around the country to be with you that are friends and that you have known. But over and above all of that, like Paul, I, I love being with you. I love being here on Sunday. And you are our family too. And so while we're away, we'll be praying for you as I know that you will be praying for us. One of the fun things about preaching this gospel of Romans, this gospel of God over the last nine weeks, is it is felt in some way that we were hearing it fresh again. And that it's forming us as a community of faith. And that we're getting to live into it in real time. And so I want to end it as Paul ends it. I want to end it by reading this benediction over you as we wrap up this book and get ready to say goodbye. 
Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery, hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings, by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This is John. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Is it on? Yeah. Um, so as Rick said, we're going to... Um, where's Jeannie? Jeannie, come on up. Um, we're going to... Um, Rick's headed out on sabbatical. Um, and this is, a, this is an offer, this is a, a benefit we give to our pastor, all of our pastors every seven years. Um, Rick's actually overdue for this. Um, and we're going to pray for him this morning. But um, rather than just a couple of us up here to pray for Rick and Jeannie, I actually need your help. So if you are or yeah. ever have been I just don't uh, an elder, knowledge. pastor, staff member, deacon, if you've been involved in um, the uh, uh, the leadership of a home community, if you've served in a ministry um, outside of, on Sunday morning or outside of Sunday morning, uh, could you stand for me, please? And, uh, and if you're able, actually, if you're close to the end, could you come on down here? Just work your, work your, work your way down. And if you've been to any Imago event outside of Sunday, could you stand up? And then if you are, um, if you're, uh, if this is your first time, or if you just have come for a few Sundays, could you stand up too, please? <laughs> Thanks. So I want three things to be evident here. So um, number one, we value seasons of rest, especially for our pastoral staff, for all of us, but for, especially for them. The second, very much with what Rick said, you know, while Rick is gone, we're going to miss him a lot. We're going to miss him and Jeannie, their whole family. But Imago Dei is not Rick McKinley. Um, Imago Dei, the, the image of God, that image in the Bible is a corporate one. It, it, it refers to all of us. <clears throat> that any any uh, barrier that we perceive between those pews and this stage is, isn't real. It's artificial. And that the work of God persists in all of us, Pastor Rick or no Pastor Rick. But the main thing I want Rick to see and I want Jeannie to see is I want them to see a body that is going to pray for them now, is going to pray for them in these next three months, and a body that's going to rise up and send them out that will watch over this work and this community while they are gone, and that will welcome them back joyfully in a few months. So if you would feel comfortable, would you put, just put your hands out towards Rick if you're close by? <clears throat> and I'm going to start to pray, and then I'm going to hand the mic to Gary Friesen to close us. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for this community. We are grateful for Rick and Jeannie and their long ministry here at this church, Lord. We are thankful for this season of rest that they're entering. We pray that it will be restorative, that they will um, rest physically, emotionally, spiritually, spiritually, that they will connect with you and then they'll connect with one another, that you would refresh them and show them yourself in new ways. We pray for our community that you would be um, sustaining us, that we would know you in different ways in this season as well. But we would pray that you would send Rick out, Rick and Jeannie out, and that we, <clears throat> they would come back to us safely in, in a few months, um, having met you in new ways. 
O God, who does not sleep or slumber, who does not become weary or tired, and yet on the seventh day you rested to make it clear to us that we need to rest periodically. We need our bodies refreshed. We need our spirits refreshed in you. We pray for all of the reasons that you gave us Sabbath rest, that you would give Rick and Jeannie those in abundance. May they be physically strengthened. May their hearts and their spirits be refreshed and they come back with that refreshment. Lord, thank you that we are your church and we ask that this particular body will prosper in their absence and prosper as we welcome them back. We pray it all in the strong name of Jesus and all of God's people said, We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amargodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.